Hey guys, welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. I've got a great episode for you today. In this one, I interview Joe Bernard of Cross Training Ministries. We talk about discipleship and um, growing and maturing as Christians, and I think you'll find it really helpful. Uh, but before we jump into the show, I just wanted to say um, you know, I just got back from G3 uh, in Georgia, in Atlanta, and it was really cool. I was there representing Grace to You. Uh, for the conference. Excellent conference. Really enjoyable. You guys want to check out the G3 conference in the future, and you're totally going to want to check out the uh, messages that were uh, recorded for this one and listen to those when those become available. But I especially wanted to say uh, that it was cool to meet a lot of you who came to the booth, talk about Grace to You, and I was surprised at how many people were there that were fans of Redeeming Productivity, who were listeners or readers of the blog. So that was really cool. It's always fun to meet people and and hear um, how the Lord's using uh, this podcast in people's lives. So just wanted to say hey and a special hello to all of you who I met at the conference. Um, now let's get into this week's show. Welcome to this episode of the Redeeming Productivity Show. Today I am joined by Joe Bernard. He's the founder of Cross Training Ministries, uh, which is a ministry that helps men mature in their faith by giving them a plan, training, and coaching. And Joe is also the author of The Way Forward, a roadmap for spiritual growth for men in the 21st century. Joe, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm glad you're able to join us. Um, Joe, maybe can you tell us a little bit about you and your family and and kind of where you guys are at in terms of ministry. I know you were in Scotland before, and now you're back in the U.S. Yeah, so uh, I'm married. I've got four children. We live just to the north of New Orleans, a town called Covington. And yes, I spent uh, about nine years in Scotland, eight of those years doing church revitalization. So I uh, have a pastor's heart, but right now uh, I, I run a, a men's discipleship ministry, cross-training ministries, from here in South Louisiana. So that, that's the essence of who we are. Gotcha. And, and what is cross-training ministries exactly? Yeah, you know, cross-training ministries is really a, a discipleship ministry focused on helping Christian men break through low ceilings of growth. Uh, you don't have to look hard to find Christian guys that just seem stuck. And it's not just individual guys, you know, it's, it's small groups of guys, it's men's ministries, for whatever reason, it often seems like uh, the men's ministry in a church is its weakest uh, discipleship link. And so this is a ministry, it really does target believers, but trying to help them get out of those ruts and find uh, a road, a simple but effective road that will enable them to grow spiritually. So that's, that's really the mission. That's critical. Yeah, I like, I think somewhere on the website, it said something about how it's, guys need something less than seminary, but more than, I don't remember what it said, men's breakfast or something. Right. <laughs> I like that, hitting kind of that, that middle area of the no man's exactly. Yeah, I think, and I think that is the, the training gap. Uh, you know, most guys, once you're locked into a profession and family, you know, you don't have that much time, but often what, what's offered is not enough. And so it's trying to give men you know, enough of a challenge to, to push them in something that will really be effective without exhausting you know, their critical resources, which have to, you know, they've got to have energy for kids, wife, work, et cetera. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, having worked at a seminary for a while, I know one of the things we would see a lot is guys would come in that had, they didn't actually have any ambition to be in ministry. They just didn't know what the next step was. They knew they wanted to learn God's word more. They knew they wanted to mature, but they figured, well, I'll just go get a, an MDiv because that they didn't know where else to go. Right. And I think that kind of points to the gap that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's there. And I think uh, in particular, you know, there's some guys who, you know, seminary is great for, there are other guys who it, it really is. It, it's not, not that you can have, train your intellect too much, but you know, it doesn't always have the, uh, the focus on, on basic disciplines and, and kind of real life spirituality. And so, you know, try to find a curriculum and a, a program that again, fits into normal routines, but, is a lifelong process as well. Um, I think that's what a lot of guys need, but can't find. That makes sense. And uh, the book, The Way Forward, which you graciously provided me an advanced copy of, I really, really enjoyed it and highly recommend it. Uh, just an excellent book, excellent writing. Um, so I appreciate you for that. But what, what is it all about? What kind of uh, is the point of The Way Forward? Why, why did you feel like you needed to write that? You know, I think there's there's two aspects of this. Uh, part of it is just uh, just my own quest as a as a man, as a as a man who knows God, loves God, wants to know and love God more. Um, this has been my search. I feel like I spent a lot of time, almost what you were describing. You know, with those guys in seminary, kind of looking around, not sure, you know, what the what the path is to to really pursue God wholeheartedly. And um, so it's not at all written in terms of like my life narrative, but it, it, it is the guiding questions of my life. But so there's that personal aspect, but otherwise going back to the idea that men are stuck and, you know, they don't need a map in the sense of a comprehensive description of the whole of discipleship. And that's what you often get with discipleship books. You know, you get all of the, the theological ideas uh, that, that make sense of it. You get all of maybe a list of spiritual disciplines that's endless and, you know, it, that can result in a kind of choice paralysis where guys, they know everything, but they don't know the next thing. And so what this book is meant to be is, you know, I'm imagining a guy and again, picture him, he's lost. He doesn't really know what direction to head. And this is, it's an itinerary. And, you know, the difference between a map and itinerary is an itinerary. It just tells you the next stage, stages of your journey. And so it's a book that's meant to be relatively simple. It's meant to help men understand where they are. In other words, what's the problem? Why are they stuck? Help them understand where they need to be, not ultimately, but you know, in terms of on that road toward growth. And then how do you get from A to B? So my, my hope is it's a practical tool more than some kind of encyclopedia of discipleship. You talk about in the book how sometimes it'll be in discipleship books or even just in in talking to other men, you'll be presented with kind of these ideal portraits of what it looks like to be a mature Christian. And in one of your videos, you mentioned Jim Elliott and the book, I think you mentioned Thomas Watson's portrait of a godly man. But why do yeah. you think that these types of things are sometimes less than helpful for guys? Yeah, you know, if if I stand beside LeBron James and say, you know, I want to be a basketball player. And, and he's who I'm looking at as my model. <laughs> I'm probably going to give up after about five minutes <laughs> because it's so unattainable. And it's a little you know, discouraging. Love, <laughs> it's a little discouraging. 
And, uh, you know, Thomas Watson, you, you mentioned him, and I love him as a theologian, but these Puritans would sometimes give these portraits. And, you know, they're the kind of ideal picture of a man at the end of his journey. Maybe even a man who's, you know, been translated is in, is in heaven now. It's this kind of perfect picture of godliness. And that can be absolutely overwhelming. And so, you know, what this book is, it's what, what do guys look like that are growing? You know, what, it, it's, it's an attempt to describe, okay, you know, if you're on that road, what are the things that consistently you see? And so it's a long road. It's a lifelong journey. But we, we, we want to give guys a high bar, but not an exceedingly high bar, uh, something to aspire toward that will inspire them. Uh, but not so much that will discourage. And so, you know, that, that's the second part of the book is really looking at, well, what are these qualities that you see in men that do grow? And I think, you know, that's a much more uh, attainable solution than the ideal portrait. One of the things I really liked about the book as well is it didn't start off with the normal kind of browbeating. Um, and maybe that's not fair to some other books on discipleship, but I, I do think that that is the impression left sometimes is kind of just, you need to work harder, you need to sleep less, right. you're just lazy. The problem is you're not working hard enough. Um, and I just appreciate that you're, you're sympathetic to men and the many responsibilities they face. And I think that you're, you're wise to point out that the era in which we live is incredibly demanding. We may not be doing as much um, manual labor, most guys, as men of the past, but the number of demands on us and on our attention is, it's pretty profound. Um, and you know, noted that even some churches can, um, I'm sure inadvertently, but kind of add to that load and tie up uh, burdens and, and kind of guilt guys into doing more. But on page 21, you said, few tyrannies are more oppressive than the expectations of a missional church. And so I, I just wanted to ask you to maybe flesh that a, a little bit. Why do, you, why do you think the way that churches approach involving men can sometimes feel more oppressive than actually helpful to them? You, you know, before I say anything else, I just want to confess honestly that that comment in particular, that, that is aimed at me because you know, this was a helpful process writing the book, me working out of uh, some of my own weaknesses in ministry. And, and I can remember being a pastor and, and being so caught up with my vision and the kind of, you know, measurable uh, signs I wanted to see that we were prospering and growing and, and being missional and, and, you know, et cetera, and losing sight of, you know, the state of the people in front of me and beginning to honestly use them. And so, you know, it's been a process really shifting my perspective kind of from the pulpit to the pew, really thinking about, how church is experienced by guys who aren't in the front. And one of the things that really shifted my view, I was reading, I think I mentioned this in the book, but in Matthew's gospel where Jesus, he looks out at the multitude, and he's moved with compassion because he sees that they're, they're weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And uh, that compassion of Christ, you know, recognizing the state of where the people were, it really, it really spoke to me. And, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of guys who, you know, they step into a church on Sunday and, you know, they're, they're depleted um, because, because of the workplace. Uh, it, maybe their lifestyle is mismanaged, but still they don't have any bandwidth left. And then all of a sudden, you know, rather than the, the pastor and the elders sensitively finding out where this guy is, what he really needs to become the man who can lead in the home and 
you know, be effective in his calling. Instead, they, they're immediately trying to get him to sign up, you know, to you know, chaperone an event or to uh, teach a Sunday school class. And so, you know, this guy who's already, you know, threadbare <laughs> is exhausted that little bit more. And so I think for a long time as a preacher, honestly, the subtext of my sermons, like you said, they were, they were things like, just get after it. Come on, you know, what's your problem? Um, and I think what we need to do is really begin by diagnosing, okay, why is it hard right now as a man to grow? It doesn't mean that we, these are ultimately excuses, but we need a clear diagnosis so we can figure out what it's going to take to help men. And so that's part of what this book is after. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, do you think that within churches, do you think true discipleship or, or even fellowship um, in the churches, do you think that that's missing or, or lacking in a lot of churches today? Yeah, you know, uh, there's different types of fellowship. And, you know, there are certain uh, forms of it that I think are uh, constantly uh, emphasized. You know, it's, it's so important to have just a big corporate uh, experience of believers together. And, you know, you can get that Sunday morning in a worship service. Churches for the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years have really pushed small groups, which, again, they accomplish something that's good. But I think there, there's something really basic and fundamental to discipleship that isn't talked about enough and call it spiritual friendship, call it spiritual camaraderie, but it's, it's, it's the level at which you can really get support. You can really get accountability. You can really get uh, shared aspiration and running uh, together. And that's the level that I think is really absent from Christian men. They might have friends. They don't really have spiritual friends. And as mm -hmm. a consequence, you don't, I mean, so often you see guys all of a sudden something disastrous happens in their life and you think, okay, where were the guys that could have helped in that moment? And there's just no one. So there, you know, one of the key parts of this book is, is helping guys first understand, well, what is spiritual friendship? And secondly, how do I begin to develop it and cultivate it in my life? Yeah, that's critical. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that with discipleship is one of those words where everyone kind of pretends that they know that we have a shared definition of it. And, you know, I, I just, I remember being, I was involved with campus ministry and college ministry and, you know, people would come and say, Hey, can you disciple me? And ask them, well, what do you mean exactly? And I don't know. Um, so I think there, there's kind of a, a double-edged sword to that. Sometimes people, they, they might have a set of expectations about what it what discipleship means and then people who are maybe further along in the faith or, or more mature just older who would probably be interested in discipling people they hear all these different things about what discipleship means and it can be daunting and so you say well i don't know what what that is uh, exactly so i'm not gonna do it um do you think that um you talk about spiritual friendship do, do you need a, like a program or a, or a set discipleship method or, or where, where would somebody start? Maybe I'll put it this way. Where would somebody who's further along in the faith and they want to reach out to, to other believers, um, younger men, perhaps how, where would they start? What should they do? Yeah. Uh, I mean, friendship is a difficult thing because there is an aspect where, it can't be forced in the way that some other kinds of relationships can. But I think, uh, you know, initially, obviously you, there, there's a degree of just getting to know people. That's fine. But I think for spiritual friendship, it's helpful that eventually, you know, you begin to, to have some honest conversations like, you know, here's what we want this friendship, this relationship to ultimately be about. 
think that's one of the things that's often missing. Uh, you can have, you know, a group of guys, say, meeting at like a Cracker Barrel and, you know, they meet every week and they, they kind of cycle through books. Everybody knows it's stagnant, but nobody really knows what else is, you know, available to them. And, you know, the truth is they're always talking about maybe the, the content of the book. They're not really ever uh, sharing anything personal. They're not really sharing their lives together. And, you know, for good reason, it feels somewhat flat. Um, you know, one of the ways to, to really begin to break through those relational barriers, uh, there's this guy, Joe Smith, who says, you know, if you want better answers, ask better questions. Hmm. And John Wesley, who uh, was really a genius when it came to discipleship, uh, when, when he structured the early Methodists at the smallest level of discipleship, he had these, these bands and they were four to six people, same, similar ages. Uh, they'd be all male, all female. But, you know, he would use these five questions and, you know, you read these five questions and they're, you know, they're, they're things like, uh, you know, where have you been tempted since we last met? Uh, is there anything that you desire to keep secret? You know, there are things that just absolutely blast through the exterior walls and expose the heart. And there aren't many people who have relationships where there's those kind of questions being asked. And so... I mean, I would encourage guys to, you know, it's going to take trust, it's going to take time, but find some guys who, uh, you know, will be willing to ask hard questions that you can ask hard questions and, and really begin to share, you know, share the struggles as well as the successes of spiritual life together. Hmm. Yeah, I know I found in, in my experience that take, one of the hardest things to do is to be the first person to take that step to be vulnerable, to offer up those things. And yeah. you can kind of, with that uh, step of courage, be the person who breaks the ice for everybody else. Um, I think that can be helpful. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, Joe, that I, I thought was really fascinating you get into uh, in the book is you talked about how it's been great to see in the last like 25 years or so, the recovery of the teaching on just grace in churches, the emphasis on grace. And I know we've got all these grace fueled this, grace centered that um, type books, and that that's helpful. But one of the things that you key in on is that it seems like some people have misunderstood that message, at least in regard to their spiritual growth, and have ended up with almost like a fatalistic attitude towards maturity, as if grace eliminates effort for the Christian um, in, in how we live. How, how should believers understand grace um, to fit into their spiritual growth? Yeah, you know, grace, it, it has been recovered and all that's been recovered, we need to celebrate. You know, it's, it's why we have hope as Christians. You know, we're saved by grace. Uh, we can do nothing apart from the grace of God. Uh, and, and, you know, everything I say, I want to just uphold and, and recognize how just essential and wonderful uh, these, these truths of grace are. I think the dangers come in when, for example, grace begins to be a license to sin. Um, you know, so you know, wrapped up in someone's thought is either it's the, well, you know, God will forgive me anyway because, because of his grace. And so this sin's not such a big deal. Or again, there, with grace, you know, there's an emphasis on sin. And so, you know, I begin to be so aware of my sin that, well, I'm never going to ultimately defeat it anyway. And so Jesus will clean me up after I die. And, you know, that whole mindset, if you, if you just read through Romans, it's so foreign from how Paul thinks of the Christian life. Yeah, you know, if, 
you know, he says in, in, in Romans 8 that, you know, if, if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. And so there's this calling and there's this hope to, to be putting sin to death. Um, and whenever, whenever grace begins to uh, eliminate, I think, that drive, something is wrong. And so I, I see a lot of complacency in men. Uh, and I think part of it is uh, a mismanaged teaching on grace. And so, uh, you know, I think what, what needs to be recovered is just, you know, grace shouldn't make us relax. Uh, grace should give us encouragement to keep persisting hard in the fight against sin and the hope of maturity, recognizing that the, that we always do have hope and we always can advance because of God's grace. Uh, you know, so I think, I think this, to me that that's some of the, some of the issue. Yeah, that is helpful. I, I've seen the same thing. We, I was, I was whispering amen to myself as I was reading that. And it's, it's a hard thing to address. I appreciate you doing it because you don't want to be the anti-grace guy. And I know that's, <laughs> that's not right. what you're doing and people, it's easy to be misunderstood in that. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, people haven't heard what you just said. I think that we've all kind of witnessed that and probably felt the same way in our own lives as we've, you know, um, even yeah. uh, used grace as an excuse to uh, for for our sin or for our um, spiritual laziness. Yeah, and I, and I think it's where you know there are there are so many wonderful truths that God reveals, and each deserves its place. And sometimes, you know, in the same way that if you were to remove to use a kind of comic illustration, but if you were to remove the nose on someone's face, you know, it would lose its sense of proportion. And, you know, there's, there's sometimes missing doctrines, things that aren't taught, which give a sense of place and they make sense of the whole. And, and one of the, the ones that, you know, I, I know you've mentioned it before, but uh, that I think is really vital in the New Testament is just the fact that we, we are going to be judged as Christians. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, th- I think there's something when, when you remember that as a Christian in, in its full teaching, you know, Paul is so clear that the judgment we face, it's not one where, you know, Christians are going to lose their salvation, but nonetheless, what we do in life matters. And it's, it's possible to waste opportunities in life. You know, that, that provides a sense of momentum as well that ought to drive guys forward, but often they never hear about that. And so it's a combination of, you know, certain teachings being mismanaged, but also certain teachings, gospel teachings being absent or near absent from, you know, from a lot of uh, ministries. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love you had this quote in there along these lines that I just really appreciated. You said, grace is the strength and incentive to aim for the stars, even if my progress will be measured in inches. And it's kind of the, the opposite feeling is I think sometimes guys will say, well, if I, if I can't reach perfection, what's the point of even right. trying to grow? And that's just faulty thinking. Right. Right. And that's where... I- you know, a, a lot of this book is based on the premise. It's the same premise for the whole of cross training ministries, but you know, there, there are no shortcuts to, to maturity. And that shouldn't be something that, uh, you know, creates despair. That's what is so exciting about the Christian life that, you know, if we had 10,000 years, we get 70 or 80 in this life, but if we had 10,000, we still wouldn't arrive at holiness. We've been given an ideal and uh, a goal that, through every phase of life and every set of circumstance, we always have purpose and meaning. And to me, that's so exciting. And I think, you know, there's so many guys who are, are seeking that purpose when, you know, the, the Bible holds it out before us. And, you know, whether, you know, we're in a, in a wheelchair and 
our old age, whether you know we're you know in college studying, it doesn't matter. We can always be pursuing Jesus and always be you know putting sin to death and always be putting on you know real uh, spiritual character. And so that just it gives depth and purpose to everything, which is extraordinary and unique. Absolutely, yeah. And I think so many people, and that's really that's really the heart behind what uh, I'm doing with redeeming productivity is. I I think for a long time, I just kind of felt like, okay, you get saved and yeah. now you wait to die and go to heaven, you know, like, what are you doing? Um, yeah. But you know, uh, Ephesians 2.10, that, that God, he has prepared works in advance for us that we should walk in them. And there, there is work to be done, that there is, there is a, there's something we're supposed to be doing in this life. It's not, what we're doing is non-salvific. It's not adding to your salvation, right. but it is, um, as you said, you know, it, it is on that basis. When we go and see our Lord, we'll be judged for the, the good works that we do. Not, not so that we, you know, go to heaven or hell, but um, unto reward. And that is exciting because every day you can wake up and you say, okay, what, Lord, show me the, what are the what are the good works you would have me walk in today, and be looking yeah. for those, and know that there is, there there is there's work to be done, and as you said, there's progress to be made. There's a sense of okay, I I am growing. I am on a on a path, a journey upward of sanctification, and that gives meaning to the Christian life, which I I really do think that a lot of um, believers aren't really sure what happens after they're saved before they go to heaven. Yeah. They're just kind of like, okay, I'll try to stay out of trouble for a few decades, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and that ties in with, you know, the, the front of the book, there's a section about the things that the missing beliefs um, from kind of the framework of men. And one of these is just the spiritual potential of, of ordinary guys. I think there's, there's so many guys who, but you know, because they know they're not going to be Hudson Taylor, uh, they don't know, what they can really do. And, and part of the, what's so extraordinary about the mission of God is all of us, you know, wherever we serve can do things. You know, we never know what the ultimate importance is, but uh, there is importance. And so, you know, my hope is that, you know, part of what this book does just help guys recover that sense of, of being on mission wherever they are. And I know there's, you know, that's something that, is emphasized a lot of places right now, rightly so, but more guys need to hear it that, you know, they've got that opportunity to, to live their life as a spiritual vocation and they got them grace to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when you first uh, emailed me, I, I chuckled at the subject line. <laughs> you sent me an email, you said, helping Christian men overcome David Allen. And yet you caught my attention. And, you know, before I opened it, I knew exactly what you meant by it. Um, and, in, in the book, you make this uh, sage observation. You said uh, that a lot of men today are task list junkies. And for many, productivity has replaced holiness as the end goal. And I know that that is something that I struggle with. And I'm sure that other people who listen to this podcast struggle with is you can kind of get this tunnel vision for, okay, I... I just need to have these task lists and these goals and these things that I'm checking off. And then it, it's almost, I might put it this way. It's like simulated progress is you feel right. like you're getting stuff done. Something's happening. So you must right. be doing all right. Um, but we don't necessarily have a clear destination in mind. We're just ticking boxes. Um, right. what, let me ask it this way. In what ways is Christian maturity more than simply getting things done? 
Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there, there's, there's different aspects of this. You know, one is just the whole uh, relational aspect of knowing God. Uh, and, you know, you can write a business plan to knowing your wife, but it's probably not going to help you succeed. In, you know, <laughs> well, what if you have a PowerPoint? If you have a PowerPoint, it might help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, so much, so much of, you know, what we are after is, is, is knowing God and uh, trusting God and the sort of things that, again, are altogether different from uh, our, our kind of productivity mindset. Uh, there's also, though, I think, you know, character development, which, which again, is, is something that cannot, you, you can't kind of plan your way into. Um, so much of it happens when things are outside of your control. And so I think, you know, there, there's, I think productivity, a lot of, a lot of guys need more. It's, you've almost got two types of guys right now in America. You got one who's a productivity junkie. The other guy's never heard of it and needs to discover it. <laughs> it's hard to find the guys. <laughs> yeah, right in between. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, you've, got, you've got to have the big picture in view. And I think that's what you're after. You, you've got to understand that this life, it is a pilgrimage. Uh, you know, there is a destination. And so, you know, what, what is the larger... Uh, scope, what is the larger uh, uh, kind of space that we're inhabiting, and, and how does productivity, where can it fit in and where can it fit in? Uh, I think part of the answer you guys need to hear is just recognizing what discipleship is and how discipleship, it's always happening. You know, God is never not at work in our lives, and a lot of what he used us to grow us up, it's not our business plans for ourselves, our kind of life plan. You know, it's the suffering that he leads us into that we would shirk if we had the opportunity to. You know, it is the, the difficult relationship that is actually disruptive to our productivity that actually teaches us to be gracious and kind and patient. Um, you know, <laughs> all of this stuff that is absolutely outside of our control, uh, this is really important when it comes to character growth. And so, you know, the book talks about life planning because I think there's some really good things in that, that come from, from having a plan, but at the same time, we always have to keep this stuff real loose in our grip because, you know, ultimately God's purpose for us may differ from what we would seek ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think of Jesus with the woman at the well, and, you know, sometimes I'm guilty of this, but, you know, an, an opportunity for ministry or for growth or something may come up, but it doesn't fit into my schedule, you know, and it was, so since it wasn't planned for, you say, sorry, yeah. I got to keep moving. I have a two o'clock to keep. Um, yeah. And that, that really is the danger of being too oriented that way. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the word pilgrimage and forgive me, I can't remember what you contrasted it with, maybe journey. What was, you said there's a difference between a pilgrimage and something yeah. else. Yeah. You know, in, in the book, I, I contrast a pilgrimage and a quest. Uh, and I, I probably push, I mean, the, the difference a little bit, but the, the idea of a quest is used by a lot of uh, kind of postmodern thinking. Um, and, and it sort of filtered its way down into a popular level of just this life being this, this seeking, this searching, but without any end destination. And so, you know, you've got countless movies, countless books uh, with the main character just, just kind of looking for, for what the purpose of life is and, and really never finding it. And, you know, that picks up on this idea of a, an old quest where, you know, say, for example, a knight is, is off looking for the Holy Grail. But the problem is he doesn't know where the Grail is. He really doesn't know what it looks like. And so, you know, the whole journey is just kind of uh, trying to find clues. And I want to contrast with the idea of a, 
that with the idea of a pilgrimage because a pilgrimage, the difference is it's got a definite destination. You know, you kind of got the GPS coordinates for it. Um, it may not be all under control, but if you think of Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan's classic book, he's headed to the celestial city. <laughs> you know, there's a path that he's following. And I think that in today's confusing context where everybody's, you know, sitting, staring at their navel, trying to figure out what the purpose of life is, more men just need to discover, hey, the Bible tells us what the purpose is. Um, and so, you know, we're called to be pursuing Christ. We're called to be uh, walk, keeping in step with the Spirit. You know, our destination is, uh, is heaven. And, you know, we need to live this life with a degree of intentionality, deliberateness, uh, decisiveness that comes because we're not confused about what the ultimate, uh, you know, mission is about, but we can throw our heart and our mind and our bodies and pursue it, you know, with, with our whole being. And so that's, that's what I want to see less guys wondering about, not sure what they should be after more guys who are on a road and have a clear destination in view. That's helpful. Um, you talk in the book about, uh, captivation, the need, the need to be captivated. Um, what did you mean by that? Yeah. Uh, for me, captivation, it, it's, it's when your heart is, is fiercely gripped by something that you love. And when it comes to talking about the traits that uh, define men who are growing, you know, I purposefully begin with this idea of captivation because it gets to the heart of motivation. Uh, you know, the Christian life, the way I view it, it's a lot more challenging than the way it's presented by some teachers. And so if you ask, well, what on earth could motivate somebody? Um, you know, really, a man needs to have a heart that has beheld such glory, such beauty, such worth in the person of Christ that he's actually willing to sacrifice lesser goods. He's willing to submit to difficult paths. Um, He's willing to, to grieve and sorrow over the sin because he knows it separates him from what he ultimately loves. Uh, he seeks Christ wholeheartedly because his satisfaction can only be found in him. And so, you know, the, <laughs> it's the challenge, but men need to see a more glorious vision of Christ until their heart is smitten by his uh, majesty and by his, his goodness and by his beauty there's no way that this life is going to actually be something that's going to drive them forward. So to me, that, that, that's why captivation is important. It, it is what it is. Yeah. Amen. And you talk about the flip side of that being idolatry, but captivated by the wrong things. Um, yeah. And absolutely. That does seem to be a major issue in our, in our culture with entertainment or you, you mentioned sports or things like that. Um, the guys can get sidetracked by these smaller visions instead of seeing Christ and his glorious as the, uh, the all consuming thing. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the challenge. I mean, we, we live in vanity fair and, uh, all around us all the time are really compelling and expensive advertisements telling us, you know, why the minor goods are the major goods. And so it, it leaves us with this, this huge question of what, what can a guy do in order to actually, feed this inner love, this inner desire he has to know and to uh, draw close to Christ. And that's why part of this book, it's not just, it's about helping men identify where they need to be, but also giving them advice on the way forward to get there. And so, you know, one of the sections toward the end is how do you, how do you catch a better vision of glory? Because mm -hmm. I don't want to leave guys, you know, <laughs> looking in their heart and seeing a derelict state 
and thinking, okay, well, again, <laughs> might as well just build my, my house here. Uh, but yeah. rather to see, no, there's, there's things that uh, wise Christians before have told me I can be doing that can help feed this kind of a deep passion. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things I just love so much. You have the, you have the, um, maybe theoretical is not the right word, but you talk about what's needed and then you actually give steps to get there. Um, because, you know, just in terms of captivation, you know, I, I believe you cited it, but Thomas Chalmers um, sermon, yeah. the expulsive power of a new affection. Yeah. That is such a, a compelling vision. And if, if you guys are listening, haven't um, read that, go look it up. Thomas Chalmers, the expulsive power of a new affection. And it's basically the idea that what, what you need to say no to sin is not a no, but just a huge, giant, glowing yes of I want something way more valuable than these little piddly things. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I read that years ago and I've read it several times since. But the, the thing is, well, how do I get that? You know, how do I I know that I need to uh, cherish Christ in his in his beauty and have that be the thing that all all consuming. But what do I actually do to make that um, image more prominent and more glorious in my mind? Um, and you offer advice on how to actually take those steps. Yeah, and just if guys are thinking, okay, what, what sort of thing, what might that be? You know, just to give an example, uh, I would encourage, you know, guys, I mentioned when I surveyed that old hymn, but as, as strange as for some guys it sounds, go and memorize it because, you know, so often what we don't do as modern men is we don't let ourselves sit and think long about anything. And the, the wonder of that hymn is it describes not just looking, but surveying. And by, that's an old word for just basically pausing to, to behold. And you know what happens when we just pause long enough to see what's happening at the cross? Well, the whole hymn describes the internal transformation that results. And so it's those kinds of spiritual disciplines of actually beginning to you know, take a tight rein on our mind and focusing and meditating it, me meditating on you know, key passages that speak of the glory of Christ or wonderful old hymns that distill uh, his, you know, the beauty of Jesus. These are the sort of things that can really help guys, you know, find a way forward in the modern world. Yeah. And you offer, um, so on, on your website on cross training ministries, um, you talk about the decathlon. And I think that memorizing that hymn is the first challenge, if I remember correctly. Can you talk a little bit about the decathlon, how it fits in yeah. with the book and all that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's come straight out of the book because you've probably experienced this. I do, you know, you read a book and it, and you're inspired, but it, then you're, you just kind of move on and forget about it. And even though I've written this book, you know, I, I'll honestly say that books don't tend to really change us. You know, it takes more than reading another guy's thoughts to be transformed. And so the decathlon comes straight out of this book. Uh, the last few pages of this book are next steps. So I list eight things that guys can immediately do. And, and these form some of the uh, challenges of the decathlon. So basically the decathlon is let's stop thinking and let's start doing. And so uh, what are the, what, what are 10 spiritual challenges that'll get to the heart of these needs that men have and help them, whether individually as a small group or as a men's ministry, begin to actually make progress along this road. So we've talked about captivation. So the first challenge of this decathlon is, yeah, memorize when I survey. Um, you know, another key section of the book has to do with clarity, getting a perspective on what this life entails, what discipleship is like. And that's why the second challenge, go read Pilgrim's Progress. So there's, there's a, uh, 
you know, a close relationship between this book. And I would just encourage men, if, if you read the book, if you like the content, if you're thinking, okay, I actually want to follow this path, you know, on the website, you'll find challenges, but also coaching that you can do from a distance to help you along that path. Cause that's the hope. You know, the hope is not to sell books, but for men to actually mature wherever they are. And the website is xtrainingministries.com. I'll link to that in the show notes too, as well as to the book. Um, but there's a lot of really helpful information on there. And you can learn more about the ministry on there as well too. And uh, you have some well-produced videos on there also. Um, Joe, let me ask you some questions about you and your um, kind of productivity, if we can still use that word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you strike me as a, as a disciplined guy. You know, you, I, I know you, you try to stay in shape, you keep appointments, and you, you wrote a book, for heaven's sake. That takes a little bit of discipline. Um, and this is a question that maybe I already know the answer to, but what is it that drives you? Like, what, what is it that's compelling you to get up and do this hard work every single morning? Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> I've got... I've got an image of uh, a guy in my head, and honestly, um, it, 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 it's an image that comes out of my past, but also out of my ministry. And so, you know, I, I think back to being uh, late teenage years and just, just you know, wanting, you know, I had a real hunger to grow spiritually and, and really looking back to like I didn't have all the mentorship and guidance that I would have liked to have had. And, you know, God, by his grace, he, he has a... a infinite ability to redeem our wonderings and our mistakes in life and, and still use them. And so I feel like you know, I want to help guys who feel lost, guys who at some level, no matter what their life looks like right now, they would like to grow as Christians. Uh, now, very close to that picture is a picture in my mind of a guy on the west coast of Scotland. Uh, I remember I did ministry there and Scotland's in a derelict spiritual place. Um, there, there aren't good churches, a lot of places. And I imagine a guy in a small village by himself who doesn't have access to a good church, what would that guy need in terms of help to achieve his potential in Christ? And so, you know, what I'm trying to build with this ministry, there are some places where you have wonderful churches uh, that have wonderful discipleship ministries, and you don't need to say anything more than to a guy than say, get plugged in. There are other guys, though, who are in less healthy environments. They don't have a roadmap, they don't have friends, and they don't know what the next thing is. And so I want to... <laughs> provide a service to those men. Like we said earlier, it's not going to be seminary. Um, it's it's going to be more though than the local church. It's going to be an honest account, the honest training required for that guy to mature into the man God wants him to be. And so it, it's the picture of that guy out there that drives me. Hmm. And do you, what kind of um, disciplines do you employ yourself regularly, like uh, Bible reading plans, scripture memory system, exercise? W what are some of those disciplines you you use? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think for me, spiritual disciplines are things, it's almost like workouts where, you know, for a while, something will be great and you feel challenged and you're growing, but then, you know, eventually you hit kind of a, a stasis and need to disrupt the routine a little bit. So, you know, if you were to chart what I do over the last five years, it wouldn't, it wouldn't look the same all the time, but I don't think that's always a bad thing. I've really uh, loved over the last probably couple of years, just beginning to memorize a lot more scripture. Uh, I for a long time, I was, you know, doing the, the bigger readings, uh, which are wonderful to get the, the storyline and the big picture of the Bible. A lot of Christians need to begin that because they've been looking at little isolated bits, but 
it's been wonderful to to focus back in and just look for some of the gems. You know, these passages, I think I cannot die without having this engraved on my heart and finding those and uh, just beginning to make time to memorize, but memorize for the sake of being able to meditate on them. So that's been, um, that's been something that's really been a wonderful blessing. I think other routines, you know, I do try to stay fit. I think fitness in America right now, it's, it's, it's funny. I see so many guys who, uh, you know, go from not working out at all to looking like Captain America, it seems like. And it, you know, it's like, I've got the, I got the 20 minute dad routine, uh, which is just enough, you know, a few times a week to, to, to keep me relatively healthy and sane. And, uh, but I think working out is one of these things you just gotta, you know, keep in perspective. It, it's so useful to keeping the mind fresh, keeping the body healthy. Uh, but in our culture, you also have to be weary of it competing with more important things. Yeah. And what's a typical day look like for you? Like do you have a morning routine? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I like to spend, spend time with God first, mainly just because I've got four kids and, you know, mental clarity and strength gets depleted over the day. Uh, so start, start with, um, you know, I mentioned some of the things I've been doing or focusing it on spiritually. Uh, I like in the morning to, my work does involve uh, some thinking, you know, whether it's, it's writing or, or the sort of stuff that is better in the morning. So if I, sometimes I'll meet with guys in the morning, but then, you know, from really eight to 11, if there's these kind of thought projects, try to get them done. Um, I usually, you know, save email till after that. So around 11 o'clock, we'll begin to tackle some of that. And then in the afternoon, uh, do, do some of the things that don't require as much thought. So um, whether it's just sort of admin, whether it's more meetings, that sort of stuff um, interlaced with, you know, one-to-one -one or small group stuff. So my day, the, the rhythm of it, you know, God first, uh, then the stuff that requires more clarity of thought, then the stuff that just has to get ticked off the list. And then, uh, you know, in the evening, I've got kids, I've got a wife, um, so try to make time for family. No, nothing real complicated, nothing, you know, uh, that's going to change the world, but it works right now. What about, like, tools in terms of staying organized? Like, are you, like, a pen and paper guy, or do you, do you use complex systems for, for keeping everything organized? H how, do you, how do you work? Yeah, uh, you know... <sighs> I, I don't use a lot of pen and paper, but I'm not uh, super savvy with the tech. Um, you know, I mentioned partly in the book, uh, David David Allen and uh, Taskless Junkies, because I've been there. You know, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I like I like a lot of his stuff when it comes to organizing lists, uh, how to use a calendar. Um, you know, I've kept a lot of that stuff. Uh, so. Most, most of what I use is on Google, Google Calendar, uh, Google Task List. I've got digital files for projects I'm working on, that sort of thing, um, and some spreadsheets with some kind of Gantt chart stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything more particular to say. Um, but so most of, it, most of it online, digital. Yeah. Use your phone a lot? You know, uh, <laughs> I, 
I've got, we all have awkward relationships with our phone, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I actually have an episode. It might be out by the time I release this, but I'm working on one called Your Phone is the Enemy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I use my, my phone remind, you know, I use it to, to capture thoughts. Uh, and I use it, you know, when I need to. But I, I try to not be owned by it. So, uh, yeah, a, a lot... You know, I, I reference the calendar and that sort of thing, but I'm not overly reliant upon it. Yeah. Um, that's really helpful, Joe. <laughs> um, so, hey, so a guy, there's a guy listening to this right now and he says to himself, hey, I want to grow. I want to mature. I like what this guy's saying. Uh, where does he start? Yeah. Well, Get the book, you know, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> There's a thin line between uh, being honest and self-promotion at this point. You know, I doubt the purity of my heart, but no, you know, honestly, I think, I think the book, my hope is that you'll walk out with a sense of direction. And uh, if, if you really are excited by the content, uh, if there's not a great, you know, if there's not a great option that's within your church or right in your local community, then I would say go on the website, check out this decathlon, get a couple of friends, and begin to do it together. And that, that'll, what it'll do is it'll give you a taste of the kinds of spiritual disciplines, the kinds of things that promote growth and that godly guys in the past have done. And so it's not the end all be all. It's not going to carry you from where you are to being that, you know, wonderful, mature man of God. But at the end of it, you'll say, well, this really benefited me. I'd like more of this. Um, or, you know, I'd like to pull some guys together and hear some ideas. I think you'll come out with, you know, some, some clear kind of next steps. Yeah. Well, I'll say it by the book, you, you guys, it, it really is excellent um, and super helpful. And I saw somebody uh, even say it was a woman who was reading it and said, you know, obviously it's geared towards men, but there's help in there, even if you're not a man uh, for your own spiritual growth. And I think probably as well to help you understand the Christian men in your life, husbands or, or, or sons or um, brothers and some of the struggles that they face in maturing. Uh, I think there's help there too. So I highly, highly recommend it. It's an excellent read and it's a fun read too. Joe has a, a great, um, his personality comes through in the writing and there's, there's a lot of moments where you get, uh, you feel the burn because he put it, he puts it to you, but there's also times you, you, you get a chuckle out of it. And if you want uh, kind of a taste of, of Joe's writing, um, we have an excerpt from the book as a guest post on the blog, which will be up when you're hearing this. Um, and just, I'll link to it in the show notes, but um, I believe the title of it is something along the lines of you will be judged. So check that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm real excited to read that one. <laughs> it's, a, it's a catchy headline. Uh, so check that out. You can also learn more about the book uh, and cross training ministries and the decathlon that we mentioned by going to xtrainingministries.com. And Joe, I just want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show. This has been um, just just a lot of fun and hopefully uh, a lot of help to people who are listening. It's been a privilege. Thank you for the invitation.